I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So today we have another recovery story guest on the show and I will let her introduce herself to you guys. Welcome. Hi Rose, how are you? I'm doing well. Why don't you tell everybody your name, where you're from, and really what brought you to come on the show today? Hi, my name is Kaylee. I am from, currently I'm in Berks County, PA, um, which is, there's a lot of cows there. That's pretty much where I live. Um, But I grew up in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, if anyone knows that area. And I've come here today because I have been invited by the lovely Rose. Um, I've done work with her in the past. Um, I've listened to her podcast. Um, so here I am. Awesome. Thank you, Kaylee, for introducing yourself. So you and I have one of the most interesting, I think, beginnings, because I met you not even before all of the podcasts. I didn't have a business. I was, we were yeah. on Better Help. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah, we got matched on Better Help um, just by we got chance. Matched. I don't really believe in chances, but yeah, that yeah. was pretty wild that that just kind of happened by fate there yeah for sure I mean that was so long ago right like I want to say I want to say it was 2018 or 19 because I looked I tried to look back and was like when did I meet Rose so much has happened since then um so I think it was around that time so that feels like a while ago yeah yeah for sure and you didn't come to me for BPD yeah, like that wasn't part of it. Not that well, I didn't know, yeah. yeah, at the time what I was coming for, I think. So that was a big, big part of the start of the journey, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And then we had, I mean, that was, you were part of the experience for me of why I didn't want to, you know, work for a big platform like that. I had so many tech issues so many things that like man it was rough and then when i started the business you came along and till you didn't need that support anymore right yeah i found you because i think i i don't know if it was like probably i feel like it was always kind of like money with therapy and stuff and i don't know if i was trying to come back to you and i think i actually reached out to them and was like where is rose like i can't find her on your platform anymore They're like she's not here anymore so I did like some researching and found I was like oh she has her own thing now that's great because I need her so um that was pretty cool that I was able to find you even after there was maybe um kind of a break in between there and better help didn't have you on there anymore so I was able to find you it's good that's awesome yeah so you don't have to have your it's good to start the story off like this kaylee because a lot of people will call and ask me like do i need to have a formal diagnosis in order to work with you and the answer is no you cannot have any idea what you're kind of struggling with and and definitely reach out and that's how you and i met and just kept coming back because we're just connected in that way so that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of your story so we can jump into what is what does bpd mean to you Yeah, I was thinking about this. So I guess really like freedom was the first thing that came to mind, like freedom from myself, freedom to live my life. Um, Because I feel before I kind of went through that healing process, I was very limited in my life where it was kind of what's the big thing that's going to happen today with my emotions, you know, because 
you're you're you may be on a high for a second and then you're back down again so that kind of life felt like almost like i was in shackles a little bit where you're you're having a good time maybe one day and then it could be the same day hours later and you're at like your worst point in a long time so for me it feels like i'm actually like free to live and enjoy my life and kind of just go through life organically and genuinely and be the kind of person I was meant to be finally. Um, it means more meaningful relationships. Um, so that that obviously is a big part that I'm sure people listening can relate to because it's usually something that they struggle with a lot is having meaningful and stable relationships, whether it's family or romantic relationship, friends, or just people. I had a lot of trouble with like coworkers and stuff too. So it's just people that you see in your day-to-day -day life, whether it's someone at the gas station, at the grocery store, um, you can't even have real genuine relationships and interactions with them without feeling dysregulated or um, having issues after that. So to actually have meaningful relationships and go to work and not be like, oh, who's going to set me off today or something like that is very freeing. Yeah. So I would say freedom, probably the top one, but um, definitely accomplishments and relationships because as you know, I'm, I'm engaged. So I'm actually getting married in October, um, which is very, very exciting. Um, did not know if that would ever happen for me. Um, I kind of went through a time where I was like, maybe that's just not a possibility for me to have a long-term relationship that I can actually make work and actually be healthy. Um, so that's, that's huge. Um, another big thing that I've done uh, recently um, was finish my degree finally. So you've you've known me throughout that process of how hard that's been for me. Um, so I actually finished yeah. my bachelor's. So that that's a big step, I think. Um, I have a apartment, a townhouse apartment, two bedrooms. I have three cats, a dog. Like it's stuff that I didn't know I would ever have. So that's that's what it means to me. I mean, it's like an enriching, fulfilling life so far, and I'm very very ecstatic about the future. Yeah, that's first of all, congratulations. Like, that's Thank awesome. You. That you're engaged. You're welcome. That's so cool. Um, and I love the way that you put that out there. Freedom. That's how I feel. Free. Yeah. Yeah. In meaningful relationships, too. So, why don't you tell us how, how did you, when you got your diagnosis, which I didn't formally diagnose you, right? Because it was better help. So, it was talking about a constellation of symptoms and, hey, you know, I think you have this. And then when you came to me after BetterHelp, I had this platform for BPD. So it was, you know, really kind of, it kind of molded well together. But what was it like for you to hear that from me? And let's talk a little bit about your, your healing journey to freedom. Yeah. So when you first told me, I think I've heard from some of the other stories on this podcast about the kind of relief a little bit because you finally feel like oh like that kind of makes sense like maybe there there's something to this because before um because misdiagnosis seems to be kind of a thing that happens a lot with this uh disorder um so for me i was diagnosed for major depressive so before i met you um the big part i guess of my story i mean i kind of always struggled, especially in my teenagers. That's when it got really, um, really chaotic 
into my young adulthood um, when I was in college, actually physically at college. Um, and so I was like about 20, I think it was 20, yeah, when I was actually hospitalized for, it was only for a week. And I know um, there's probably people listening and I think maybe you've experienced um, times where you were in and out of the hospital potentially, that seems to be um, pretty common. But that was yeah. a big, huge thing because that was the first time I've ever been hospitalized. Um, and it was it was pretty low moment. Um, I remember feeling very like hopeful, like right after, because I think I had nothing left at that point. Um, but the reason why I was there was because I did attempt to end my life um, and it was unsuccessful, obviously. Um, so that's why I was in the hospital. And that was when I was 20 years old. So that kind of seems to be the timeline of the young adulthood for, for borderline. And um, so I just remember feeling like, okay, like maybe there's stuff that I do need to work on, but they, I was diagnosed as major depressive. Um, so with that, after aftercare treatment was a lot of like talk therapy. Um, and I was finding that the, for talk therapy, it didn't obviously work for me. Um, so I had therapists saying like, oh yeah, you just, you just get it, you know, because I'd be like telling them like, oh, this is what I need to do. Um, and the thing is, I really need someone like you, Rose, who is going to be like, you got to put in work. It's not just about, this is how I feel and understanding it. It's actually putting in the work to be the person that you want to be. And I wasn't getting that with my talk therapy. Um, I don't know if that's just the way it's set up or um, I just needed to find you, obviously. But I wasn't making strides in that aspect. So I felt kind of... Um, kind of like just stationary where I was just staying in that one place. Um, and, you know, I have people who are telling me that I'm doing well and I'm, you know, I'm doing the work and, but just didn't feel like I was doing the work. Um, so I really needed someone to tell me that I needed, the, the best thing I think you've ever told me was don't have a pity party for yourself, um, which I guess could seem <laughs> yeah. harsh, um, but it really wasn't because you were trying to direct me in a way where it's like, okay, like we got to let go of all of this and not necessarily do the talk therapy and talk about necessarily why we're here. It's good to understand that, but it's more about changing those, those reactions to things, changing how you feel even, um, cause slowly over time that does change. Um, if something like this maybe gets you upset now, like a year later, maybe it won't be the same. Uh, situation. And I found that, that a lot of things have changed where I look back and I'm like, wow, I would have reacted so differently two years ago. This is big. Yeah. Um, so that kind of was the start of all that. And I remember when I wasn't getting those kind of successes in my talk therapy, I just was like, all right, well, let me try something else. So better help was kind of a pathway because there was therapists that were in different places. I think you ended up kind of being closer to me um, in the area yeah. since then, but you could get people from any state or anywhere. Um, so I think that kind of gave me a little bit of hope that maybe there's someone out there that can help me because um, mm -hmm. I wasn't really getting that with the talk therapy. So DBT I found to be very, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we, I was in Philly at the time, so we weren't too far away and I had lived in Lehigh County when I was in college. Yeah. So for sure. I mean, it, 
yeah, don't have a pity party for yourself. And maybe it was just, you know, the right time for you to listen. You know, sometimes I think like it, with talk therapy, there are, it's takes the right time, the right place. It takes that right moment in life. And it also takes this level of understanding of your emotional mind and your logical mind and the bridge. You can't cross that bridge unless you've done like previous work, you know, with having BPD, you're lost in this like little kid version of yourself that didn't grow up. So like emotionally very young. And if you think like, teaching cbt or you know sort of talk therapy stuff with a young child it just doesn't work and that's i think that's part of it right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i definitely feel like the age was definitely mattered um because i when i first came to you i was in that relationship which i'm sure you probably remember which that was probably one that <laughs> was the most significant i would say to leading to me to where i am now in in a good way um it was not healthy at all. And it was a situation where I think we might've contemplated if, you know, he was going through his own like traumatic issues as well. So I think there was kind of that budding, like we both were kind of working through stuff. Cause I remember that was a time where I was trying to heal um, right before mm -hmm. we were together. Um, and then I think in that relationship, some of the things that I might've been doing before kind of escalated or got worse. Um, as a result. So it kind of was like a reminder of childhood a little bit because that's kind of the situation that happened with me and my mom growing up. Um, right. But it kind of, it was important for me to realize at the end of that relationship that I didn't want that kind of relationship. Um, you know, I was gravitating towards people who maybe weren't a good fit for me, but also the way that I was acting in a relationship was not the kind of partner that I wanted to be. Um, so I think through that relationship and then that was kind of one of the reasons why I kind of found you through BetterHelp because I wanted to be better in my relationship and then it didn't work out that we stayed together but then I found someone after who really great fit for me and I've been a better partner in this relationship you know not not every relationship is perfect obviously and you have to work through things but I would say that that really set me up to be the kind of, you know, wife essentially that I want to be. That's, that's the goal, obviously. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what behaviors, thoughts, and feelings have changed since you've been in recovery? So you talked about that relationship. Yeah. I remember we can say, I don't know, toxic. Is that a good? Yeah. I hate um, to say it because I feel like it's so overused, but yeah, it really, it really was really like volatile, chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no i it is it is an overused phrase but i do think maybe we'll say like tumultuous instead and yeah right there was a lot of like arguing back and forth and then now to now right so what yeah what behaviors have changed in relationship and how's your thought how have your thoughts changed since then yeah i actually thought about this today which is interesting like before we were talking but something that i used to do and i i'm not sure if you remember this or not but i quite frequently had a problem with if there was you know i wouldn't even say necessarily fights or anything but anything that felt uncomfortable in a conversation with a partner i would mm -hmm. like kind of be like a runner essentially so i would actually leave like i would go in my car wherever i would go i'd end up coming back at some point but i would I wouldn't want to deal with it and I would walk away 
And I did that a little bit in the beginning of our relationship because it was almost like a habit at that point. So this new relationship, well, not new, it's been years now, but this beautiful relationship that I'm in starting out, there was some of those hurdles that we had to work through. Um, but, you know, this relationship's very safe. So I think it was partly him as well as the work that I was trying to put in to be a good partner for him because he's so great that I was able to stop doing that. So it would be something that I would just like, it's not funny at all, but it's just, it is like looking back because I would just, if whatever it was, and it probably maybe wasn't anything significant, but it felt obviously very, very impactful for me that I needed to actually leave the premises. Um, and yeah. I don't mean to like laugh at that because I'm sure other people have done that too. Um, but it just seems so funny to me now because it's not, it, I really just would, wouldn't do that now. And I haven't done that now. So there's, situations where I'm where it might be a little like what's going on with us or something like that like is it because we're tired or whatever um where I would just want to like leave that situation before <laughs> I would just dip out yeah. and you can't do that in a relationship you can't just be like all right I don't feel like dealing with this and leave it's it's putting in that work okay. so that's something that I found that I used to do a lot I used to do a lot and um I haven't done that so that's really that's really positive that's um yeah, that's yeah, huge. Like we can. Oh, sorry. I think dive into that a little. No, that's okay. There's a little delay. That's all right. So the we let's dive into that a little bit because that's mm -hmm. important. So it's an avoidance behavior, and it is funny, right? Like when you're through it, it you do look back and you have to laugh a little bit about yourself at yourself. Like I would do stuff like to, that too. Now I was never so bold as to like leave, leave, right? But I would like leave into another room and hide mm -hmm. and like wait for that rescue point. Sure. But, you know, it's important that people understand the reason why it's kind of funny because it's extreme, right? Like somebody would yeah. ask, I know for me, and they would ask me a random question, like, why did you do this? Or do you want to do this? Or tell me, like, look at my behavior, right? Like, and I would immediately be like, oh, I can't talk about this, this is so uncomfortable. And it brings back to that word toxic too, right? Like we're hesitate, you know, Kaylee and I are hesitant to use the word toxic. Why is that? Because we don't, we're free now, you know, and there's, it's, it's just such a, a heavy, intense word that people use and they throw around to really define the way that they behave and rationalize and sort of justify they, the way that they behave. So it is kind of comical to think that you say you love someone and then you, they're like, hey, can I talk to you? And you're like, actually, no, peace out. Yeah. But when you're done with that and you're ready, talk about me I'll be back so right that's huge yeah so now what do you do if you have to have a conversation now um so it, it's really just like something else that I used to do that I don't do so much anymore where I would I'd be very like pushy to be like well what are you thinking about are you mad at me are you like I'd be very uh pushy because I felt like I felt something and now it's kind of one of those things right. like is something like going on and then it's like no and then it's okay like there's that trust and i think that's also part of it that trust in that relationship that um if a person wants to talk to you about what's going on they will and if it's something that they need mm -hmm. to take a minute on like they're allowed that and you should respect that um but also it really could be nothing um which i found happens a lot with people sometimes it's not even necessarily nothing it could be they're just like out of it today they're tired um and that i think kind of goes with the lack of empathy where we talk about that with borderline 
Um, so having that empathy, like, okay, like we've all kind of dazed out before, like we were working, you know, 10 hours today or whatever it is. And we just, we're just not all there and there's nothing insidious about it. There's no, like something happened and I'm hiding from you or anything like that. Um, so I think that's something that has changed too, where there's that kind of trust to let a, a person that you love be what they need to be in that moment because they're allowing you to do the same. Um, cause before I would say it was definitely like, well, I'm feeling this now and it's about me. Um, maybe it didn't feel like I was being selfish in that sense before, but I can definitely look back on it and kind of laugh at it the same way where I'm like, Oh, it's kind of being a little bit of a brat. Yeah. My parents were right. I can be a brat. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a good, well, I was watching an old Jordan Peterson video last night, actually, that talked about, he wasn't even talking about borderline personality disorder. He was just talking about relationships. And he was saying like, you know, people with personality disorders are, they're not able to have these meaningful connections because they end up making everyone who they meet into the very same person, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone we meet is the same person. And they're usually like exactly like us. So they have like these negative thoughts, negative, you know, predispositions. And, you know, we just end up like making it virtually impossible for people to connect with us for that, that reason. So what you're describing now is going from having that where you're like sort of assuming the thoughts that of the person you're dating and like avoiding the emotions and all that to now you're like, yeah, I mean, if my partner comes home and has a weird expression on his face, it's not about me. Like, so he can definitely have that space to do his thing, which is huge because it means that you're, you've developed empathy through your, your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jordan Peterson. Great. Totally recommend. Um, just cause I've, I've listened to him and read things from him as well. Um, just, I, I think he kind of hits the nail on the head with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, but with the, the empathy, um, for example, it's, it's actually really funny. Cause I think, um, I was kind of like looking at statistics and kind of like looking back on what borderline was. Cause I think when you do go through that recovery, you almost like forget some of it because so much has changed. Like it feels like a lifetime ago. And I was like, what, what was I doing? Like, I remember some of it. Um, so I kind of had to like, I guess like study a little bit before cause I forgot some of it. Um, and I was thinking about, um, how women it's like predominantly like women that usually are diagnosed. Um, I think it was like 75% I saw, I saw like a couple of different statistics and I thought that was like interesting because, um, it's weird. Like when you're on like, the part of your life where you have like healed from some of this stuff and you change some of those behaviors and you see it in others. Um, it's very interesting um, and almost like reinforces all that work that you've done to just kind of keep going too. So like recently, um, it's kind of a funny story, so I'll just, I'll just say it. So um, I went with my friends uh, from work just to get food after work because I work at a wineries. Um, and it's kind of like in a, it's kind of like a college S town. There isn't a college there, but it just has like a hustle and bustle. So there's all these places that are open. So we just got like wings and stuff. And I like went to the bar to get them drinks. The one girl like had like a hip thing going on. So I just wanted them to sit down and I was going to bring them over the drinks. Like I didn't care. Um, so I went up to the bar and there was this guy sitting there alone. And um, 
he just was trying to like make conversation with me. And he, I don't know if he was, you know, I don't want to say like hitting on me or whatever. It could have just been genuinely being nice. But I just remember like going up to the girls afterwards that like, oh, I feel like kind of bad for this guy. It seems like he doesn't have like anybody there to like hang out with. And he's trying to like make conversation with me. And their kind of instant reaction was like, oh, I don't feel bad. And it was kind of like, uh, oh, he was definitely like trying something or whatever. And it was just funny because I was able to be the one to say like, oh, like actually sympathize with this person. And like other people just kind of instantly um, were like, nah, it's like, that wasn't cool or something like that. And it's just interesting because I remember myself being the same shoes where I'd be like, oh, they're definitely doing something sinister or something like that. Um, you know, so I just found that interesting because it kind of reminds me of that yeah. empathy part where you can kind of look at other people and say like, oh, maybe they're like, I don't know, maybe he was new in town or like because of COVID and everything hasn't been out in a while and like <laughs> misses seeing people. Um, and that's something that I don't think I would have like mentally, my mind would have gone through. Cause like, even when they said it, like, I kind of was just like, they're like, oh, you're being too nice. And I was like, no, I just, I just think that could actually be what it is. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. so I think that's really interesting seeing other people and, and, and definitely I spend more time with women, I would say. So seeing some of those kind of differences where, um, I almost like wonder if people are going through some similar symptoms, whether, I don't know if it's actually BPT or BPD or not, but just seeing the kind of extreme, extremes of things where there's that kind of lack of empathy for other people going on because maybe they're going through something. Um, so it, it is really interesting because I was that person before, and it almost makes you wonder if this is how people <laughs> looked at you. Um, it's a really weird, like, zoom out, zoom in kind of thing, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're talking about mentalizing. It's that actually can be very that be, having that switch is very freeing. It also can be very isolating. I have some people now who are currently like transitioning, so their friends are like, no, 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 that person's a jerk, or they're rude, or they're mean, or whatever. Like we, you know, cut them out of your life, block them, delete them, and you know they've been learning empathy. So they're like, wait a second. Like, no, there are, there's more than one possibility here, right? Like, and not only that, but, you know, how about we try a little bit to understand this, this person's perspective instead of just like jumping into assumption. I think it's, the sad thing is, is it's, it's no longer becoming like a, a BPD, you know, specific behavior to like look and care about other people. It's like a societal thing. Like I'm supposed to do me, do me, right? Like that, you know, so yeah. it's awesome to be able to look at it. And then also, I don't know, you know, <laughs> this wasn't part of the script, but it's a little troubling, I think, to know that other people can't really mentalize in a way that would create a society of people that really cared about each other. You know, it's cool that yeah. you can do that now. Yeah, because I yeah. would say like everything that we're talking about I think that's why I was kind of excited and felt like it was important to come on this podcast to talk about some of this stuff because one of the other things that was helping with my recovery, there, there was a lot of different things that really skyrocketed. It was obviously being in this healthy relationship that I am now. So I was able to like actually work through those things because my whole thing with relationships, the unstable relationship part of this disorder is that you 
almost have to have relationships to form healthy relationships. Um, so I think that was something that was like, that I did way in the past where it's like, oh, I'll just cut everybody out. Like, I'll just not talk to anybody. I worked at like, I worked night shift in a warehouse and you didn't have to like talk to anybody. So I'd always get mad when people would talk to me. It's actually really funny looking back on it. I'm like, I just want to like do this warehouse work and not talk to anybody. Um, and it was, it was actually <laughs> limiting me. I realized that it was actually really limiting me because I wasn't, I wasn't working on relationships with anybody. So how was I expected to have this beautiful relationship I have now if I wasn't going to put in that work? So that was something that I, I don't know if other people who are listening have that kind of like, oh, I, that extreme where you're like, I just got to let everybody out of my life, no family, no friends. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, so I think that's something that I think is very valuable, but I was with this relationship on top of it, I was also seeing societal issues, which has become a big conversation for probably everybody for the last couple of years. And I'm seeing the extremes. And I remember that was like one of the big like light bulb moments, like, wow, this is kind of what I was doing before. Like I was pretty much like either worshiping or like demonizing certain people because of x y and z reason doesn't matter what the reason is and yeah. um that's that's kind of what it felt being in borderline where it was like there's a person in my life who they did something that maybe wasn't even extreme like extremely bad or anything and i took it to a place so far um that there was a total demolishing of like any potential of like a connection mm -hmm. and actually having meaningful relationships with people um so that was that was a big one too so i think what you're talking about now that this is becoming maybe not even a bpd thing that people are kind of struggling with this it, it almost makes me feel like it's even more important to be talking about this stuff even more um sharing our stories so thank you for having me because i think it is important to talk about um because i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of it on the others i don't want to say the other side but just from a different point in my life where I used to be there. Um, and that it is yeah. troubling. It, it definitely makes me want to try to help in some way um, to yeah. talk to people about kind of what they're going through, because I don't even know if people realize it because I definitely didn't for a long time. Yeah. What, what I was even doing was an issue until it became an issue. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I, you know, I'm grateful to you for coming on the podcast because I know you and I share a very similar, I mean, you've been in recovery a long time, right? So you and I share a very similar worldview, you know, about freedom, about choice, about hope, about what it's like to have that BPD from yesterday. You know, I think they'll like when we started talking about just recovery, this was like a, not not too long ago, right? One of our conversations I remember is me saying like, do you even like connect with it, the diagnosis? And I remember you being like, no. And I'm like, yeah, me either. You know, I, I mean, I do, right? Like the, the diagnosis is bred from a hyperbolic temperament. So I'm never going to sit here and say that I'm like this completely normal human who never had an issue. You know, it's just not true, but I'm not this, this dysfunctional person, right? Like I'm somebody who really tries. So I feel the same way. The more years that pass, the more I do the podcast, I have to go back and like really study, like how crazy were you? <laughs> and when I even <laughs> say things like that, 
<laughs> like, you know, well, really, 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 you know, on the border. I was, you know, and we use the word crazy. So sure, loosely, you know, people listening know at this point that I don't place a lot of um, value and details of words. But, you know, I was on the border of psychosis and reality and, and not having any trust in people to even be able to pull myself into truth. And like a lot of people right now, I believe that there was relative truth. So truth is relative in terms of your perspective, perception. And that's just, that's just not how it works. You know, truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. You know, and that's my perception. That's my opinion, sure. But, you know, I think one of the things we can look at is if I believe truth is absolute and you believe truth is absolute and all these other people on the podcast that were in the recovery stories came to find that the belief in an absolute truth like an absolute truth to define it is right and wrong, right? Like there either is a lie or there's not a lie. That's absolute truth. I can't say that it's a lie, um, can, you know, depending on where I live in the world or depending on the context. No, it's either a lie or it's not. And for the people that have come to work with me and they've done that morality work, they've come to find that there is an absolute truth. And when you get to that place where you see there's a right or a wrong, there is not the borderline between and psychosis and reality there's just truth and it's really you know not arguable right so that leads me to the next question which is mm -hmm. how did you maintain hope in recovery throughout the process yeah i the the morality like the compass work i remember was definitely a big part because when you for me i don't think I don't think like I wouldn't say I was like immoral. I don't like I, I don't know, maybe. But to have actual like actually sit down, which was part of the work, and think about what kind of person that you want to be, not necessarily who you are. Um it kind of actually led me back to the kind of person I think I was in a sense, if that makes sense. So um like I, that was one of the other statistics I found that like young children apparently this is more rare for them um and it actually had me thinking because it, it really makes sense actually because if you think about a lot of people who are suffering from this it comes from um, mine personally was uh being uh neglected by my parents so that was where that came from but other people have like abuse or trauma or some of this kind of stems from that where they have a parent who you know, maybe like my mom, I think maybe had borderline too, or my dad, I think has like, maybe he was playing around with the idea that he's uh, bipolar, whatever the case may be. Um, I think that all these things kind of shape into the way that we react to things, how we think about things. Um, and it kind of led to these behaviors. Um, because if I look back at who I was, if you really try to look back at who you were at like six years old, for example, um, I remember being a very confident child, very like a very confident in what I would say. You know, I was I did performing arts. I was a singer. Like I just was, and I was very resourceful person. Like I was always coming up with different like things for me, and my cousins to do. Like we made like I don't even remember. It was something like a I made like a circus or something like out of like like <laughs> toys that we had and we had all the adults come around and play. like I just remember these things as a child and I'm like yeah like that and I was goofy and like now I feel like I'm goofy again like there's things that I almost like circled back to 
in a way like who I was originally meant to be. And then I almost feel like these things that happen in life, I don't want to use the word corrupt necessarily. I feel like that's overused too, but, but kind of in a way where it kind of shifted me away from who I was and who, what my boundaries were as a person, what my um, principles were, because I kind of feel like if you don't have a set principles, you're kind of losing your soul a little bit. I don't know if that's getting a little bit too spiritual, um, but that's kind of how it feels to me where you're kind of losing your soul in a sense. There's kind of, um, there's if you don't have that um, groundwork. So once I started doing the moral compass work and seeing, okay, like, what is it that I that I definitely think I need to stand by and actually holding myself to that? Like, I, it's not that I stand by integrity today and then tomorrow I don't. It's that's something that I'm trying to implement in my life every day. Um, so I think once I started doing that, I kind of felt like I actually did find who I was and who I was supposed to be again, if that makes sense. Because I do think borderline with the identity part is very um very prevalent that that kind of i think separates it from other diagnoses i believe the identity kind of issue yeah. dilemma of not really understanding yourself or who you are um so i think that moral compass work with the finding principles and then actually holding yourself to those principles whether you were before or not um kind of made me find my identity is that yeah fair? yeah no yeah. So recovery by definition, and this is like the theme of, you know, sort of like this year's BPD awareness month and, and whatnot and things I've been talking about is like the definition of recovery. It means regaining possession of something that's lost. Like if I had a stolen item, I would, you know, likely call and like make a police report and then they would call me if my item was quote unquote recovered. So I think of it like that as like, you walk back to your pure self, like you weren't born disordered or dysfunctional. And I think that's right. the thing that really, you know, I, I, I'm still intense. So I get really passionate and intense when people um, like clinicians or like we look at research and it's like, oh, you're born, you know, dysfunctional, like babies are born these blank slates. I feel like philosophically, many people can agree with that, you know, and so at some point you did have light and hope in you. And then, you know, things change because the the work of a parent essentially is to help a child identify who they are you know why they were created and then to chip away at character development and unfortunately character development is hard work if your parents had never done that they can't teach you how to do that so then you have this really sensitive temperament no roadmap for the world morality doesn't matter well because why would it morality doesn't feed your impulses morality doesn't feel good absolute truth doesn't feel good and that's why it's not marketed to us relative truth feels good you do what you want whenever you want to do it and it doesn't matter what anybody else feels or thinks or says because you're always right right yeah. and so i think that's the part you know of recovery that's not really talked about a lot so i really appreciate you saying that because i feel that way too i feel like this is who i was supposed to be you know, yeah. I was supposed to be someone who likes to garden and who likes to cook and who really likes being female. Now, it was a time where I was like against being female. Like, I'm not wearing a dress. I'm not wearing pink. My favorite color is black. And for everybody out there struggling, that's no disrespect to you. In my journey, I wanted to embrace what femininity was. And, you know, like a lot of the 
comments on the podcast are like jay's a narcissist like it's just you know he's not a narcissist because he's a good man right like he's an honorable man and he's not a narcissist because he you know helps me and guides me right he's like somebody who is into stoicism and i'm not someone who is like you know, one of the other things will people will label me as is someone who's too traditional or whatever, whatnot, because I want to be female and I want that feminine role. And it's like, actually, all I wanted to do is be who I am. I was born a woman in this world. I was born someone who's like quirky and happy and fun and fun loving, just like you said, goofy. Yeah. And the world took me away from it. And I didn't, I wasn't able, I got lost, right? Yeah. I was lost. And so... Yeah, finding myself meant freedom, and it sounds like you're sharing that same experience. Yeah, yeah, because um, kind of not similar, but I guess similar. Where with me, like the impulse, the impulse kind of going on impulse. I can't say the word right now. Impulsive, impulse, impulsivity. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> that was one thing that I did actually quite frequently, which is also very comical looking back because it is so extreme and just just illogical but i would like go to the mall and do like shopping sprees randomly where i would change like my whole like wardrobe so like i remember in college like i went through kind of like a grateful dead like kind of hippie yeah. <laughs> so i like bought all those clothes and just like got rid of everything else and i was this new kaylee like you know because i wanted i think i wanted to be kind of like free or something and that's what i was like trying to portray um, but I just like spent all this money and it didn't like really last because I was like, it's just clothes like at the end of the day. And I used to like dye my hair like every other month or something like a different color and spend all this money to look like a certain way or like be somebody else. Because I think I wanted to like fit in so bad. And then like now, not that it matters, but I haven't done my hair in like two years. And I'm just I'm like, I, I'll do it when I do it because it's just, it's really just not important. Like you, you just start realizing that this is who I am and I'm like actually, you know, not that looking in the mirror and necessarily being like, oh, I look nice, but like I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, like look at my hair. Like it's actually got really long or like, oh, this is like, I wear my glasses all the time. I forget about my contacts, but like I can't see. So glasses, I need them to see. So I'm kind of like less obsessed with um, trying to make an identity like I used to like now I'm actually kind of like what you're saying like I'm actually being who I was supposed to be who I am and I like that basically um so thank you for sharing that because that's that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah I can relate to that too I had dreadlocks I had a, a boyfriend at the time who was I was a terrible person back then I was selfish I definitely can say like I'll I'll say I was immoral because he was um like a year younger than me and I was a freshman in college and I knew I didn't want to really date this kid, but I had him come and like make my hair into dreadlocks and then broke up with him the next day. Like it's horrible behavior to do. So I'm, I had like dreadlocks because this kid did that. And I'm just thinking, what, like, what does that even mean to you? Like, like I, to me back then, I was this kid from Northeast Philly. It's like, it, it just didn't align at all. Like I'm just yeah. going to, I would just choose these things and then after the dreadlocks it was like liberty spikes and after the liberty spikes it's this color hair and uh identity is nothing to do with aesthetics identity is not aesthetics you know it's it's just not it never will be so for those of you out there that are doing the whole dbt 
alternate rebellion, I want you to think about whether or not that contributes to your recovery or if it takes you away from your recovery. Because again, at the end of the day, just like Kaylee and I are saying, and many other people on the recovery stories, identity has nothing to do with the color of your hair. That is not freedom. Freedom is when you wake up every day and you know that you're choosing actively the life that you were designed and created to live. That's freedom, not your blue hair, not your purple hair. If you want to have blue and purple hair, make sure that you're doing that out of freedom of choice and not because you need other people to look at you and look at you and say, hey, you're a free spirit. Or because your DBT coach said or therapist said, hey, you need alternate rebellion right now, so you should go dye your hair. You know, look at your recovery as identity comes from within right and i do think that there's a big spiritual component to recovery so if you wouldn't mind you know maybe you could talk a little bit about you know what you talked about before about your soul and how you know you've kind of you felt like you lost that along the way and yeah, how you regained and, it uh first before i go into that because i'll definitely forget but like kind of branching a little bit off of that so the rebellion part i i definitely think it's important to say that sometimes with like mental health awareness um there's this kind of almost need to like embrace the kind of behaviors and kind of thought patterns and everything that is associated with that because it's you know quote unquote not your fault um and i really don't think that that is a positive way um i i think the whole point of recovery is to try to be a person that you always wanted to be or we're supposed to be actually um instead of trying to just reinforce the behaviors that you're doing um i i definitely don't think that that is positive i just feel like that was important to say um because i do think people fall into that i feel like i fell into that too where it's kind of like oh well you know i i have these problems and it's not my fault and that that is what it is and i'm strong basically but um that's lazy kind of to me for me to sit there and say that um being this kind of person who like a really like talking about funny stuff like i literally the one time like an ex-boyfriend from college i literally after he broke up like went to his class like in the one hall like waiting for him like that's like that's like not something that you want to say is positive and that you should just continue because it's not your fault because someone else hurt you or whatever reason um yeah. and i say yeah. that like that's an embarrassing like part of my past and i say that because yeah. that is the reality of if i didn't change like that could have been the person that i continue to be which is not safe to me not safe to others so i just wanted to branch on that a little bit because i feel like it was important to say thanks <laughs> no yeah you're welcome. No, thanks for sharing that. Oh, that's that's it's important that people really understand that. I used to do the same thing too. It's like, well, I'm broken. I have mental illness. Even before I knew it was BPD, I had an eating disorder, so yeah. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way, you know. I wish it did in a way, just so that it would reinforce so many people that were struggling and like get them out of their ruts. But it just doesn't, and it never will. You know, I think it, it is a big flaw in in the field of just like counseling in general to really play party and validate things that are invalid, which is so interesting to me because DBT's entire premise is don't validate the invalid, but yet it happens just so very often. I feel like it's pretty invalidating or validating the invalid to tell someone that you should definitely go and rebel by changing the color of your hair. You absolutely should not. 
because the, the problem is you think that you're the only one who's different when you have BPD, specifically in, in that framework of mental illness, but you're not. Right. What I've realized is that there is not one person who is exactly the same. Everybody is different. Everyone is. And so if you have to be the most hyperbolically different because you have problems, you're contributing to your own kind of like future cycle of problems without looking and being like, yeah, I'm different. You're different. I need help. I'm struggling. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I guess like. <laughs> Yeah, that that was just something that I've been thinking about for a long time because I remember falling into it. So I just I just feel like it is important to say that that probably maybe in the moment might feel good to be like, oh, well, other people are embracing it and I should embrace this kind of behavior um, or this kind of thought pattern. But um, it's not I don't think it's going to give you what you want. And I feel like I can say I know it's not going to give you what you want in um, in the end to, towards recovery. So um, I just yeah. felt very, very important to say. And then as far as like soul, um, so that's something that I, I really do feel kind of going back into the I was made to be this way and then life kind of happens and interactions happen with people and things kind of change that um, and then coming back to it. So yeah, I do. I do think it's almost like an attack on your soul. Um, and I think if you really care about your soul, you got to fight for it too. So I, it, that kind of goes hand in hand there where um, I'm not going to just let my soul be taken away from me because of X, Y, and Z reason going on around me or um, because someone hurt me or whatever reason it is. Um, because that's, you know, that's who I'm supposed to be. And, and if I can't, live as I'm supposed to be, then then what really am I? Like what really good am I doing for anyone around me, for myself? Um, because if I'm not if I'm not someone who has these principles that I'm gonna stand by, if I'm not gonna live as myself, then what I don't want to say like what good am I, but kind of. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. So I so I just I just feel like there's a very spiritual aspect to that. Um, so I think that's why I kind of, like growing up, I definitely had religion around me. So I, I, I kind of think religion and spirituality kind of go hand in hand, but are very, very different. So for very me, different. yeah, so religion is kind of the organization of that. So I mean, I, I almost compare it to like, a soccer league or something like that it's 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 an organization of maybe traditions and customs but spirituality is the actual feeling and your soul and um it's it's literally bigger than everything it's bigger than you and everything so um i actually was catholic um growing up so i had these kind of christian religious practices but after going through this work, I'm actually in that spiritual place where, like, I've came back to God because I think that that attack on my soul led me away. If that makes sense. So I am Christian, and I think that's has been an important part of my healing process as well because it kind of all like led in to one another. 
kind of. So I was kind of seeing the extremes of people in the world around me when it came to like societal issues, like, and I guess politics and stuff we don't like to talk about, but we do kind of thing. But then it led me to that, which is just bigger than anything that we're even talking about for me. So that's when I'm talking about soul, that my soul was being chipped away at and I lost that and then I came back to that. So that's kind of that same regaining um, a piece of you, well, all of you really. I feel like I'm getting kind of <laughs> like, No, really, I mean, when like, I first met you, know. Yeah. Um, but I know you understand it, but yeah. <laughs> when I first, when you and I first met, neither one of us were Christian. No. Right? No, we weren't. No. That's important that I, I, understand I, I, I was atheist, but I was not actively thinking about that at all. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I never thought about whether I would classify. I guess, yeah, I would class my, classify my behaviors as atheist. But if you would ask me, I would have probably yeah. said, no, I don't know. You know, which is, it makes it all that much more interesting to talk to you and then to bring this conversation about spirituality around because I know one of the things, someone said this to me one time and it always stuck with me, is like, well, you drank the Kool-Aid, right? Like, because Christianity as a religious organization has problems and it's, you know, it's a sad thing that to have to, you know, defend something that you know to be true with 100% certainty just because of what humans have done to distort it. But it's like any, it's like the purple hair, right? It's kind of similar to that. But yeah, you, you know, we weren't Christian, right? I was not even anywhere near that on BetterHelp. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't at that place to think about it. And, you know, so that's something that you found just like I did. And I know I tell my story if people are interested in another, like I think it's season two where I talk about how that went down for me. Did you want to share a little bit about how you got, came full circle around and like, you know, became Christian? Yeah, um, I'd love to. Wow. Um, it, because I remember t first telling you, I don't know if you remember me telling you, but it was just something that it, it was, it was so hard to even explain because of the magnitude of, I just felt very unlike anything I've ever felt in my life. And that's kind of how I just knew. Um, but so I was kind of something that I said to you before, I was kind of like through all this, I was like, oh, okay, I definitely want to start reading the Bible. Like there was, there was plans to kind of using, cause I, I felt like through like the moral compass work and stuff, I felt kind of drawn to reading the Bible. I felt like it was important for me to do that. Um, and then I wasn't really doing it, but it was something that I was, starting to do and then i was kind of listening to other people talking about kind of similar experiences um or just people in that kind of world of uh sharing um the faith basically and um i remember i was i was listening to a podcast and i don't even really remember entirely what i was talking about i just know that it was talking about spiritual warfare that's what i know for sure and it kind of was something where I was like, okay, this all makes sense, like to everything that I've gone through in my life and like the healing process of what we've been talking about for this last hour. And I was just kind of like, well, what does that mean to me, God? Like I, I asked and 
I became completely deaf in those 30 seconds. So what happened was there was a very loud ringing in my ear and it was while I was driving, which is all also like really miraculous in a way too, because I'm, I, I don't even remember how I made it home to be honest, but I did, I was fine and safe, but it was something that literally took me out of where I was in that moment completely. And, you know, I basically heard the command that I needed to use my voice. And that kind of circles back to where we are now, where I'm talking about all these experiences to everyone who's listening. So it kind of was this huge circle round back to what I was made to be. So I was made to be the person, like, like I said, when I, when I was younger, right? Like I was always um, speaking up. I was confident, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to do that. And then I think as life happens and, you know, that was something that in my childhood, I actually had to bite my tongue a lot because if I didn't, um, me, my mom would get into, well, it was mostly her yelling at me. So if I, I learned that if I didn't speak so much, that there'd be less of that. Um, so I became kind of a person that didn't speak up when it mattered, who just kind of let anything happen because it felt like it was better for me, even if it was wrong. Um, so that reinforced that, like, I made you this way and this is what you were supposed to be. So it was, um, it was a very beautiful moment. I remember going home and like, I just was so overwhelmed with like joy. It was, yeah, it's it's something that I'm sure people who are listening are just like, what is she talking about? But it it really <laughs> was, yeah, because it's it it really is hard to explain. Um, and which is yeah. kind of the whole point of spirituality and faith is that it is something that almost seems so unfathomable, but it happened, and and I wouldn't. Mm -hmm able to explain it any other way because this this is this is something so much bigger and like such like it's internal part of my soul like it's it's bigger than this body right now what we're doing it's I, I don't know I don't even know how to explain mm -hmm. it so but that was pretty reinforcing to me that everything that I went to that also gives me that hope as well everything that I went through was for a purpose um so that's kind of i think other people on the recovery stores were talking about like redemption and um that definitely felt like that was that that it was okay like now is the time to to be someone who is going to speak up um which you know yeah. is never easy and it hasn't been i definitely feel like if you're someone who has principles and they don't align, I guess, with others or they challenge that, it is very hard to go through that um, because, you know, no one wants to live in this space where you're constantly being attacked for things that you know are right. Um, so yeah. I'm still navigating those things. Like I'm still, like I'm still, just because like I had that experience doesn't mean that everything is just clear cut now like everything 
is great. Like I'm still figuring out which church I want to go to because we we're kind of talking about the religion and the organized religion. And I'm trying to find one that feels like it's actually following those because that's something in the Bible that's talked about a lot that there are going to be people who try to sway you from, from that path. And they might even be Christians, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. yeah. Wow. Thanks for letting me share that. That was, yeah. was I appreciate your <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it really doesn't, you know, when I, when I first started the podcast, I didn't have that experience. It was like a little later into it where I had that experience myself. And, you know, the way I see it is like, there's no, you don't keep that stuff a secret just because you're worried about like what your listeners are going to think. And I'm saying that like, again, to reinforce that for myself, because it's just not okay. Right. Like I'm not going to be a hypocrite and come on this podcast and tell people who I am and then leave out the biggest part of my journey because that's hypocrisy and whether or not people like that, like it's, that's okay with me. And it is a it is a big concept to understand if you don't understand it, but I'll draw it for people pretty clearly, like in a logical way. Like, so there's a, you know, Kaylee and I are sharing different journeys, right? Different lives. We're both individuals, but we have a similar experience and here's how it goes. Like we were born in one way and though we weren't able to understand how to live in the world. And so under that, we there's trauma, there's pain, there's like, you know, uh, tumultuous relationships, there's like, you know, kind of an identity that's void of any meaning and based solely on the way we look on the outside and like mirroring other people. There's morality when it suits us. And then all of a sudden you get to the point where you're like, I can't live this way anymore. So you start reaching out for help. And she found me and I found, you know, like Jay and, you know, just like having done my work myself. And then I start thinking, okay, what's going on? How do I fix this? And then in learning how to fix that, I start learning, well, there's absolute truth. So there's no gray area in morality. There just isn't. So I start learning, like, I need to have principles, like you said, or a moral compass. And then I teach that to you, right? And so both of us are then like, okay, integrity. I got to do this. I have to love other people. What does love mean? And all of those things lead you to the place where you have an open mind towards spirituality. Because like I said before, neither one of us are like going to church or like practicing Christian. So if you look behaviorally at day one, all the way to like now for you and I, you know, in this kind of similar space is like, it just comes to be because when you open the Bible and you start reading that text, you look at it and it's like, oh, wait a second. So Jesus wasn't this really weak guy who just let them kill him for no reason. Actually, he was very strong and he was very, you know, like the perfect person. So he would had unconditional love. The Bible talks about how to have discipline and why it talks about all of these moral values that I had already learned, like, oh, this makes my life great. And then your eyes are open and your ears are open and you're like, okay, so why does this book talk about how I recovered from BPD? And then it kind of goes from there, right? It's a progression. It's not something where you're like, oh, you wake up one day and like you said, life is perfect. You wake up one day and you realize there's something bigger than just me. And here's how you come to that realization by doing this work. And because we are hyperbolic people, we're going to do the work very passionately. Like, right, yeah. you dove right in. And I remember when you first started the journey, you were skeptical about some of the things because it can be extreme. The Bible's extreme, right? Morality is extreme. 
but you've been working and kind of going through your journey. And I think it's been like pretty life-changing for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember like with the moral compass work, I remember you were like, yeah, like my, like my person that I look to is Jesus. And I was just like, oh, I don't know about that kind of thing. And you're just like, yeah, that's what I think. Um, and then yeah. like a while later, I was like, oh, wow, I really, I really get what you meant. You know, like I, I get yeah. it because there's, there's really no other person to really look at when you have unconditional love. You have someone who sacrificed for you and all your sins. I mean, it's, like that that is the one basically so um i didn't get it then um and it's kind of like what you were saying like there was no really reason i guess other than the progression like you said for us because you know we weren't really that wasn't really on our radar we weren't really thinking about um probably even like going to church as like a practice to meet people or anything like that we just it just came to um which i think is pretty like it's it's a lot of it is miraculous in so many ways because i think even talking to you about like like i remember the day that you told me that like you're recovered was so big because it was something where i i said in the beginning where i of the podcast i didn't i didn't know if i would ever get married like i didn't know if i would ever have like substantial relationships like there's times where I questioned if I would be able to keep down a job like there's things in my life like finishing school never really thought that would actually happen um that did and for for you to say that I wasn't gonna be that kind of person anymore is kind of how I took it you know was that's a miracle to me that really is a miracle that that is bigger than who I am literally um because I literally came outside of all this and was able to change all these things. And, and if you look at BBT, that's why it's always, it's always like such a, like, it's a relief to know that this is something that, that kind of puts everything that you've been struggling with into, like, I don't really, I guess, categorize myself necessarily as someone who had BBT or any of that, like we were talking about that, but it's something that categorizes all that, that you're struggling with into this this one thing to make it a little bit easier to understand. Um, but when you look at all the criteria, I mean, that's, that is a lot of stuff to go through. Like so much, you have like suicidal tendencies, you have feelings of emptiness, you have literally no identity. Um, that's, those are not minor things. Those are large things. And it, they're all kind of at once because it's literally five criteria to be considered. And to actually be able to, like, take all that off is huge. Like, that's a miracle to me. That's, that's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Like, I'm, like, tearing up because it is. It's a miracle. You can't look at it any other way. No, it's fine. Like, even for my own, I think of my own self. And I just think, like, you know, it's this, the, the work that I do is very w- rewarding and it can be very difficult too, because I have to be always strong, right. In the way that I look at my principles and my morals. And I sometimes have to dance lightly to defend my character. And I, you know, like, as I'm talking to you, it's like, I, you don't, that's not a thing. There's no defending my character. If you just looked at my life that I tell, and like, you look at your life that you tell, it's like, 
it is a miracle. You know, the things that make me happy today are not things that I ever would have dreamed I would have even been able to have. Like I had, I tell this a lot, I had like a buy here, pay here car because I had no credit. So I had to pay my bill before they would turn on the engine of my car. Like I was that, you know, like lost and just thought it was everyone else's fault and, you know, just really, really dark stuff. So it is a miracle that I wake up every day in a house that I bought with the husband that I chose, who I have this awesome marriage. I've been married five years yesterday and this oh, a child and three dogs. Yeah. Uh, oh, not yesterday. Sorry. The 24th. So Friday. Yeah. And it's like, how is that not a miracle? How is, how is your life not a miracle? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And for you, I got to see your, I, I was able to see a lot of that stuff from the warehouse to the winery. I mean, wow. From broken yeah. relationship to like engaged and you're going to be married and you have a dog and some cats and you finish your program. I mean, it's, you can't argue that. So there's the, the truth is in the reality that the rest of the world shares yeah absolutely yeah. awesome well i really appreciate you sharing that do you have any like any advice or any last or final thoughts for the audience and like what they can do in terms of maintaining hope and recovery yeah um kind of going back to like um because i think i think we all kind of crave that connection um to other people and like those relationships i think like i said that that was a big part of what i struggled with was having meaningful relationships and um there i kind of touched a little bit on like growing up how i was like neglected and stuff like that and i don't really even talk about it anymore because i actually have a really good relationship with my parents um so there was a time where i didn't talk to them for years and now i actually have a very good relationship with my parents um so something to kind of give hope on is that if you kind of put into that work with trying to connect with people whether it's at work like i have meaningful relationships at work where um i actually am able to go to work and like actually like seeing the people that i work with and and um enjoying the work that i do um i think putting yourself in that situation where you're you're actually working on those relationships and 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 trying to whether it's someone at the grocery store smiling at them or if they're talking to you and you're kind of like why is this person talking to me um being polite and um seeing where that goes and, and still having boundaries and principles um as well but i i i do think that it is important to talk to more people um i think it gives you kind of more worldviews too and it will kind of help you kind of shape the kind of person that you want to become through that moral compass work too uh so i, I definitely encourage uh talking to people meeting people uh whether it's even on podcasts listening to other people's stories too like whenever you can do stuff like that um yeah i guess kind of it's kind of like a cliche but when you're feeling something, also trying to do the opposite. I have found that that's helpful, even if I'm if I'm like tired, trying to be happy and energized, like really does change my whole day around. Um, so little things like that, I guess. 
in the world. Awesome. That's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. The opposite action and then like being in relationships. That's huge. You know, it's if you're if you're in recovery for a disorder that exists mainly, you know, because of not being able to have an identity and meaningful relationships and you avoid relationships, you avoid dating, you avoid all these things, like then you're just perpetuating the avoidance. So I always tell people that work with me too, like if you're not dating right now, you will be because we need that information in order to help, you know, like with growth and, and figure this stuff out. So that's good. Awesome. Anything else? Um. I guess, I guess, uh, try to think about who you once were and the things that, um, you might've liked about yourself and trying to get back to that. Definitely. So like mine was the, the, this talking and being confident in what I was saying kind of thing. Um, that was something that really went away for a long time. Um, and I'm still, I'm still working through that too. Um, so I think trying to look back at those kind of maybe fond memories, even if it's if it's difficult to find, if you can find those and kind of let that be your hope and lead you back. Because that was something where I was like, I wasn't always this um, just submissive. Like I wasn't always this, you know, if someone said something, I just let them say whatever, do whatever, because um, it was easier than standing up for myself, basically. So um, I think kind of going back to some of those memories, if you can, and try to piece some things together, it, it might give you some clarity. Yeah, absolutely. And the memories will come back. If you don't have them now, you know, it's trusting that process and recognizing that you will have memories as you go through it. But yeah, remembering who were you before all this stuff happened. And, you know, if you can't find them, figure out who you want to be. And eventually, like I said, those memories will come back. So, yeah. And recovery Absolutely. means freedom. I think you said it the best in the beginning, right? Recovery means freedom. And freedom is very awesome. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. It's, it's, just it's really nice. Free. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice. What do you feel from? Like emotions? Free from the deep emotional pain that makes you feel like you will bottom out at any moment. It's free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, like I wanted to die. And to be free from that, where if anything happens, I feel free that I'm not going to just turn around and want to end my life. Like that's, I mean, literally my life would end. Like if I was successful, like if I didn't, if I tried it again, like my life would end and that would be it. So that is huge to be able to say like, oh, something happens and I'm not going to die though. And if I do, yeah. um, it it's because of whatever reason it was supposed to happen, but it wasn't by my hand, basically. It's awesome, which is a miracle. So thank you so much again, Kaylee, thank for you. coming on to the show. It's awesome. It was such a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline the Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. 
subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD.